Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. Some years ago, I was in San Diego for a meeting, and it was a Sunday, and I found myself worshiping with the congregation at the First Presbyterian Church of San Diego. And I was really uh, blessed uh, by the pastor, the message he brought that day. It was on the Trinity. Uh, his name was Doug Webster, Dr. Douglas Webster. And in the providence of God, Dr. Webster has come to join the faculty of Beeson Divinity School. He is professor of preaching and pastoral theology in our school, and I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with him on the Beeson podcast today. Welcome, Doug. Thank you, Dr. George. Now, we're going to think about ministry, because you have not only lived a lot of ministry, you were at that church in San Diego 15 years? 14 years. 14 years. And before that, other pastoral charges that you've had in your your life and work. Um, and you're now also a pastor, even though you're full-time here at Beeson, you also pastor a church in, in New York. Uh, tell us about Central Presbyterian Central Church. Central Pres. Wow, it's a great historic church. And so you fly back and forth, and uh, you're engaged, you're involved <laughs> with students here and with the congregation there. So you've thought a lot about ministry. You've lived a lot of ministry. And we're going to talk today about your theology of ministry. Let me begin by asking you, what is a theology of ministry and why do we need one? Dr. George, you know, Beeson has been a great opportunity for me after 20 years of pastoral ministry to try to put my work into a form that I think will strengthen and equip Beeson students for the pastorate. I was drawn to Beeson because it is a place that is preparing pastors who preach well. And that kind of combination was a driving impulse to write a theology of ministry. And I wanted it to be both uh, solidly theological, pretty much in the Reformed tradition, but also very personal and practical to prepare pastors. That's been the vision here. And this is my sixth year at Beeson, and still yet very involved in the church, and that led to this work. So a theology of ministry, that's your question. Yeah, what is it? Why do we need it? Well, we definitely need it. You, you bring in Old Testament and New Testament and spiritual formation and preaching and pastoral counseling, there has to be a course that kind of brings all of that together, integrates that work. And so in our pastoral theology here at Beeson, we begin with uh, looking at the priesthood of all believers and the idea of overcoming the distinction between clergy and laity in such a way as to really reinforce the authority of the pastor the responsibility of that person and persons who are called by a congregation to give real leadership and yet at the same time really equip and strengthen all the people of the church to use their spirit gifts in a powerful and effective way. Now that's a tension. Mm. It's a positive tension for me. Mm. The authority of the pastor, the responsibility of the church, working together with a kingdom purpose to fulfill God's will, and that there's no greater nor more important tension than that. 
Now, I'm going to talk a little more about tension guns. That's a word you use a lot. It's obviously very important in the way you think about pastoral theology. But uh, before that, you just used a word a moment ago that I think uh, is a great word, but it's a word that's become problematic in our culture. It's the word authority. You talk about pastoral authority. I guess I want to ask you, how does one demonstrate authority? How do we even talk about authority without being authoritarian? Because there's such a reaction to anything that's got authority mixed up with it. I think the problem of the authoritarian aspect of authority is when we dwell on our position as opposed to hiding, in a way, behind the authority of Christ and his word. And so the kind of authority that I would envision would be deeply rooted in the way of the cross, the way Christ communicates, the life of Jesus. That kind of authority, I think, people really resonate with. They see that, in a way, you are hiding behind Christ in that, as opposed to being defensive about my position as the pastor, rather than, in a way, allowing the Lord to play things out in the life of a congregation, feeling that I need to be in control of every aspect of it. Let's go to the question of tension. Living in tension is the title of your two-volume Theology of Ministry just recently published, and I would encourage all of our listeners to get that book, especially if you're a pastor or if you know a pastor. This is something that would really be a blessing to those who are involved in pastoral ministry, Living in Tension by Doug Webster. You were beginning to talk about tension and the tension that's there, but you talk about tension in the text also, as well as in the preaching event and the work of ministry that flows from it. Say a little bit more about what you mean by tension. Well, to put it simply, I think every pastor is going to agree that they're in tension. Uh, And I'd like to distinguish between negative tensions and positive tensions. Negative tensions come as a result of disobedience or apathy or ignorance of the word, neglect of what Christ has called us to do. Positive tensions actually come because of what we're called to do. The word of God integrated and penetrating the culture is going to create tension. Wherever God is at work, there's pushback. I think demonic pushback, spiritual pushback, intellectual pushback, emotional pushback, and that generates a tension. But I think that's a positive tension. Any church that's trying to do away with tension is really, in a way, uh, dismissing the will of God and the call to ministry that God has given us. Now, one of the things I like about your uh, writing and also your preaching is that you often draw on the history of the church. I'm a church historian, so I'm a little prejudiced there. But you do it in such a way as I think you're just not doing nostalgia. You're not just doing this for show or, or affectation. But one of, the, one of the books that you talk about in Living Intention is Pia Desideria, Pious Wishes, I guess we would translate that, by Philip Jakob Spener, a Lutheran pietist. Tell us about that book and why you think it has relevance for ministry today. Spainer, I think, is a wonderfully um, ancient contemporary voice. So many of his concerns, such as the priesthood of all believers, he articulates well the authority of the pastor and yet says the, the pastor could not begin to fulfill his responsibility 
apart from the gifted, active involvement of the people of the church. And he lays this out in a wonderfully kind of contemporary way, his emphasis on small groups and uh, how the family, as well as outside the Sunday morning worship time, these groups that meet and read the Word of God together and discuss them, uh, has a wonderful pertinent value for us. And his concern for apostolic simplicity, I resonate with that. Kind of keep it real, keep it to the word, keep it relational, be personal, uh, realize that the child in the church is just as important as the, as the elder in the church. So Spainer had a, a lot to say both about theological education, yeah. which now we're both very involved in, as well as the life of the church. One of my favorite Spanner story is uh, is how he was converted. You know, he was preaching from this text of Scripture, and he began to listen to what he was saying. And the Holy Spirit, in a remarkable way, brought him to faith through that sermon that he himself was preaching. So I guess if there's a lesson there is that all preachers need to listen to their own sermons as directed to themselves as well as to the congregation. Isn't it interesting how somebody like Spanner and Richard Baxter really believed that there were many people in the formal ministry unsaved mm, yeah, who had not yet encountered Christ. Yeah, I'm sure that's true today. And it's something for all of us who are charged with preaching God's Word need to take seriously our own relationship to God. You know, I was just listening to a, a message by another minister, and he was talking about how he was so engaged in ministry, doing all the work of the church and of the Lord, but he had lost his soul. You know, and that certainly is something that can happen. It's, it's an occupational hazard, perhaps, for us. Well, back to your work on living intention. Uh, we're talking history. One more history example, uh, because the last chapter in this uh, two-volume work is the story of John Chrysostom. And those of us uh, who uh, live and work here at Beeson are familiar with him because he is one of four preachers represented uh, in statuary carved into the pulpit in Hodges Chapel. So every time we come to worship, John Chrysostom is staring at us, looking out at us, along with the other three preachers who are Huss, Whitfield, and Knox, great preachers from each of the ages of, of church history. Now, why Chrysostom? Uh, tell us his story, and why is he a good example of someone who finished well, as well as had a powerful ministry? Chrysostom, as you know, was a great preacher in Antioch, and so great that the emperor wanted him to be, in a way, his preacher in Constantinople. And he was basically forced to go, and incarcerated, brought to Constantinople, set up as, in a way, the senior pastor in the cathedral uh, there in Constantinople. Well, the prophet pastor in Christendom did not let up at all, even though he was in a powerful position. It got him in trouble, and uh, he was exiled. Exiled to Eastern Europe. It took 70 days. He was carted on a, uh, a litter because he was so ill and wound up with everything taken from him, church, friends, his books, all that he had been involved in so intensely was, was removed. And he wrote letters to his friends, particularly describing the concern of self-betrayal, that you cannot, uh, it is not the sins outside that are committed against you that will destroy you. 
Only you are responsible for destroying yourself. So a malignancy is not going to destroy your soul. Famine is not going to starve your soul. And these are powerful letters that he kept coming back to this theme of self-betrayal. And, of course, I hear it as the concern that uh, if anybody is going to undo my ministry, it's only going to be me mm. and how I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, he is uh, just at the end of his life, there's such a powerful message, I think, yeah. that comes through. Yeah. Now, you're speaking on this podcast to all kinds of people who listen in, and not all of them are pastors, but talk just for a moment to pastors, maybe younger pastors who are fairly new in the ministry, recently graduated from Beeson or some other seminary or called by God, taking some first steps in ministry. What are the kinds of things you would say to them uh, that you ought to be cultivating in your life, um, developing a nurture of faith so that your life uh, will end more like Chrysostom than so many other people we can think of. If you're a preaching or teaching pastor, the driving impulse needs to be to understand the Word of God and communicate that effectively in all of the opportunities and venues the Lord gives you. I found that when I became distracted from a consistent, daily, heartfelt, working in the biblical text— that I lost a sense of the purpose of my ministry. And I think you can go through really tough times, conflicted times, tension-filled times in the church, if you really are honing in on the Word of God. And so come Sunday, you have this wonderful opportunity to stand before a congregation, not take out your frustrations, not rehearse all the negativities of the week, but to stand there and proclaim powerfully, humbly, the Word of God. So that would be number one. And, of course, with that would come prayer and personal worship and a relating well to your family. I think the Word will drive you in that direction. We're almost out of time, but, uh, you know, I never really got to ask you at the beginning to talk about your own background. I think folks who are listening may be hearing you for the first time on this podcast, some of them anyway, would like to know about who is Doug Webster? Um, I know you're a graduate of Wheaton. You have a Ph.D. from the University of Toronto. Uh, again, you don't uh, wave those flags all the time because that doesn't define you, but it's an important part of your background. Say a little bit about that, maybe your call to ministry, and then a little bit about your family because God's blessed you with a beautiful family. I grew up in western New York in Buffalo. Uh, my dad was a mathematician. He died young at the age of 48. Uh, my mother kind of traveled with us across the country as I've taken various responsibilities. Um, I had one other brother who has a doctorate in linguistics and uh, teaches and is very involved in a church in Hong Kong. And uh, met Virginia, 1975 we were married, met at, at Wheaton. And um, she grew up in Brazil in the Congo, an MK missionary child. Uh, we both came from homes that were really solidly Christian in ways that today we profoundly respect mm -hmm. and have sought to replicate in our own parenting. Uh, we have three children. Jeremiah has a Ph.D. in English Lit and teaches at Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington. He and Kristen have our only grandson, Liam. 
who's about three. Andrew, our middle son, is married to Janini, a Brazilian, and they live and work. He's a lifeguard in Costa Rica. And uh, our youngest, Kennerly, married to Patrick, are both Beeson graduates and working at Trinity Press in Plymouth, Michigan. So that's the family. We've pastored in Bloomington, Indiana, Denver, Colorado, and, and San Diego. And now we have this relationship of pastoral support in Manhattan. Wonderful. Well, uh, Kennerly and Patrick, if you're listening, hello from Beeson. We're proud of you both and what you're doing for the Lord. And we're so delighted that God led Dr. Doug Webster, Virginia, to come and move to Birmingham and be a part of our faculty. I've been talking with Dr. Doug Webster, and he is the author of a new two-volume Theology of Ministry entitled Living in Tension. It's published by Cascade Books. And you can find it, I think, on Amazon. Is that right? Amazon and Wiffenstock. Amazon and Wiffenstock uh, publishers uh, make this available. Uh, Beautiful uh, design, paperback, but more important is the content in this great book. I recommend it to you, Living in Tension by Dr. Doug Webster. Thank you, Doug, for this wonderful conversation. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.